everyone. Good evening. Welcome back to Ground Waves. I'm Dini Lewittis and the Rabbi of Sha'ar. We are so proud every week to bring you this weaving of stirring music and deep Torah highlighted by transformational conversation. March is Women's History Month and today is International Women's Day. We're also only days away from Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the start of the Hebrew month of Nisan during which we celebrate the holiday of Pesach and the exodus from Egypt, an iconic story of liberation that isn't only part of Jewish sacred myth, but is a story that many have adopted as a paradigm for every human being's rightful destiny, that of liberation and the dignity and opportunity that come along with it. 
The Pesach story itself is credited to the courageous efforts of its female protagonists, a diverse group of bold, bodacious, and frankly badass women who set the tone for women everywhere and in all eras to challenge the status quo and to fight for freedom. As the Talmud says, in the merit of the righteous women of that generation, the Jewish people were redeemed from Egypt, and in their merit, future generations will be redeemed. Recent history has certainly borne out that vision as women have led the way to equality in the suffragist movement, in the At Me Too movement, in the At Times Up movement, the Women's March, whose co-founder Vanessa Rubel is our guest tonight. There were and there are many women at the helm of the civil rights movement as well. And there are several prominent women, including many young women, leading the way towards climate activism. Every facet of the lives that we are living today has been transformed by the presence of these leaders, our homes, our offices, our schools, our neighborhoods, and our government. A little later this evening, we'll delve into the theme for today's International Women's Day, which is challenge. As the organizers proclaimed, a challenged world is an alert world, and from challenge comes change. And we'll illuminate the precedent of the Pesach stories actors for today's global sisterhood that's challenging and dismantling the status quo of inequality. But there's a more foundational aspect to the Pesach story that undergirds this work, indeed, all of our work for justice and equality, a foundational aspect that I want to lift up for us tonight. In her memorial comments about the late, great RBG, Zichron Ali Vracha, Slate senior editor Dahlia Lithwick identifies Justice Ginsburg's extraordinary achievements with not just her passion for women's equality, but her empathy for all those who experience themselves as outsiders. Her vision of a just world and her relentless pursuit of one was catalyzed not just by her being denied access to leadership roles or forced to justify her presence as a leader because she was a woman, whether in camp or synagogue, as an adolescent or in law school or among law school faculty or even in the presence of the Supreme Court. Her vision and her pursuit of justice was animated not just with her razor sharp mind and her powers of analysis and argumentation. Justice Ginsburg's success as an agent of change for women's equality was rooted in the essential lesson of the Exodus story concern and compassion for the outsider, for the other, for the weak, for the vulnerable. Her legacy is not only her legal enfranchisement of women, she fought just as hard for LGBTQ individuals, for people with disabilities, for minorities. Dahlia describes RBG's unique combination of intellect and empathy as her double life, as her sensitivity to being, as a Jewish American, both an insider and an outsider, which, as she says, is the quintessential Jewish sensibility. In Dahlia's words, to always feel at least a vestigial sense of being a stranger in a strange land, whether it was the land of men, the land of a Christian white America, the land of the law, is always to hear two voices at once, which may explain why RBG loved opera as she did. Ginsburg worked her entire life to expand the scope of who was allowed to be an American and what equality would mean for groups that had been locked out of that dream. That didn't merely stem from her youthful Jewish understanding of justice, but from a lifelong Jewish experience of being both welcome and unwelcome 
in the many facets of the land she called home. Marking Women's History Month and International Women's History International Women's Day, two days after we commemorated National Refugee Shabbat, is also an important theme to lift up as we rededicate ourselves to the work of justice and equality, and as we prepare to retell at our Pesach stories, at our Pesach seders, this foundational story of freedom. Our legacy and our destiny as Jewish people of all genders, colors, cultures, and sexual orientations is to always hold in a single embrace this innate knowledge of what it means to be both an insider and an outsider, both welcome and unwelcome. Let this tension ground our activism in humility and in empathy, even as we continue to extend the reach of justice throughout our country and throughout our world. Vanessa Rubel is the co-founder and lead organizer of the Women's March on Washington, where she helped write the imbalance of power, led the fight on behalf of all marginalized people, and helped dismantle structural patriarchy. After the success of the march, she went on to co-found and lead March On, the coalition of women's marches across the country, which is credited with substantially shifting the balance of power in the country. Previously, Vanessa dedicated her life to producing socially relevant media, political organizing, and redefining the global narrative of modern African culture. OK Africa, the company she started with Questlove of the Roots, is now the largest media company focusing on a forward-thinking, nuanced view of Africa today. She previously worked as the first international correspondent at Al Gore's Current TV, as a communication specialist for the United Nations, and as a journalist for several print magazines. Vanessa is also a former student at the New School, a student of our own Howard and Miriam Steele, both Sha'ar Vad members. And Miriam, of course, also partners with me to produce Ground Waves. We're grateful to them for bringing Vanessa to us tonight. Welcome to Ground Waves, Vanessa, on this especially significant evening. Before we jump in, actually. Hi. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying thanks for having me. Vanessa, I want to say before we jump in, I hope you had a chance to look at our publicity for tonight, which features a picture of Dan and me together with one of you, in which you and I are both <laughs> raising our arms with great passion. You at a protest for equality, no doubt, me officiating at a wedding, actually, the wedding of Lisa Caston and Josh Brenner, also another Sharvad member, embodying a piece of that hard-won equality as a practicing rabbi. But I love the parallelism of that image. And I also love that the word climate 
is printed on your cheek. A reminder of uh, the women who suffer disproportionately from climate change and who are also among the most notable leaders of the campaign for climate healing. So Vanessa, tell us a little bit about your background. In particular, I'm curious how you feel your Jewish identity influenced your journey to social and political activism here and around the world. Um, absolutely, thanks Thanks for having me. And I just wanted to say, if, if I have issues with my internet, I will pop right back on. No problem. Um, and you may be hearing some noises in the background. The snorting you hear is indeed a pig. Um, <laughs> and five dogs. So um, excuse them <laughs> ahead of time. They're sure to interrupt us. Um, so I um, definitely from a young age was very um, concerned with the history of the Holocaust. Um, I didn't, I, I don't think I could understand how that could happen. And yet I somehow understood that it, it happened to people just like me. And, um, sorry, I'm hearing a pig already. Uh, can you handle this? Okay, wait. Okay, sorry. Um, so, I think, I think that um, I felt because of um, that history and because I really immersed myself in it from a young age, that um, it really left a mark on me that we can never let that happen again to any people. Um, and I think, I think that's a big part of um, my path to work in social justice, social racial justice and and activism. Um, I also, you know, studied from a young age because I actually, in fact, went to a Quaker school, um, which, you know, I don't know how much everyone here knows about Quakers and Quaker values. They're um, pretty great. I think it's, you know, diversity and community and simplicity and calmness. Um, as a result of going to a Quaker school, we studied um, slavery and the legacy of slavery from a very young age. So I was cognizant of the history of our country and the, um, you know, the, the sins of our country. Um, and I was also aware that uh, many Jews joined in that fight for, um, for civil rights. Um, and, and I think that that really has always, that, that stuck with me. Um, and in some senses, I fashioned myself after that in, in a kind of vague way because I wasn't, um, I don't think I was uh, very pointed in that. Um, it was an idea in my head of, of what we do when people are oppressed, what we do when people are um, the subjects of violence. Um, and, and then I, I think that that also was really um, in me from my what I what I gleaned from my father in terms of what our duty is in the world, and I think that that was very much informed by um, 
by Judaism and in, in, in our house, more cultural Judaism than religious Judaism. It, it's always so interesting to hear about the impact of education sometimes that we absorb not from a book and not from a lesson plan, right? But from the living legacies of people around us and from that, that uh, sense, that intangible sense of, as you say, who we are meant to be in the world. Um, Vanessa, being married to a South African and living in a home filled with South African food and um, wine and art and music, um, I am really intrigued by the work that you've done with OK Africa. Tell us what OK Africa is and what led you to develop that platform. Um, sure. So OK Africa is a website and media company. Um, it was born out of, um, I, I did a year, I, I lived for a year in Sierra Leone. Um, and I, I was with a humanitarian aid organization. I was simply placed there. I could have been placed anywhere in the world. Um, and, but I found myself in Sierra Leone. Um, and I was really interested in um, the idea of um, changing the narrative of things. And I, I discovered while I was there that I didn't necessarily believe in the approach of that organization or many development organizations. It felt almost neo-colonial to me. Um, so instead of doing that work, I really got in deep with pop culture um, there. And I ended up meeting a lot of the musicians and um, I was interested in the way that they had, those musicians had, um, been able to help the war come to a close. Um, they had 11 years of civil war and, and that they were speaking for and to the youth that it's, you know, this is not, this is not what we want. What we want is peace now. Um, so that's how I started getting involved in um, creative work in Africa. Um, and in Sierra Leone in particular. And then when I got back to the United States, um, one of the musicians that I had met sort of, someone had brought him over and, and came knocking on my door said, can you, can you manage us <laughs> in the US? And I said, well, I don't, you know, I don't totally know that world, but I know someone who does. So my friend, um, college friend, Ginny, Sess and I um, started representing um, this group. And along the way, as we tried to develop their career, we you know, were then exposed to a lot of acts um, from Africa that at, at large that were totally relevant to our pop culture here that would be, you know, people would wanna hear and dance to here, but had absolutely no way of getting, of like bridging that divide. So that's how we developed OK Africa. You know, it was a place to showcase, you know, uh, the best and the brightest and the most creative stuff um, from the continent. Um, and, and that's really how, how it started. And, um, and it grew quite significantly. Um, and, and I was there. So I was there right up until the Women's March. 
it's uh, I, I went to visit the platform. It's it's fantastic, and uh, so so diverse in terms of the kind of it's not just music. It's also now art and fa right and fashion yeah, and other thought leaders and absolutely it's like what is coming out of the continent um it's, fan it's fantastic thank you so let's talk a little bit about um your experience uh with the march and with without going into all of the details i what i'm really really curious to talk with you about vanessa is that i imagine your experience of creating the women's march and then having to untether yourself from it and from your, your partners there has left you with some profound insights about the nature of solidarity. And what I'd really love to learn from you is your take on the question of when is it appropriate to rise above differences in the service of building strong alliances for the greater good? And when is it appropriate to walk away and how did you navigate yourself through that choice? Um, yeah, I mean, it was obviously a very difficult time for me. Um, I think that it would have been a difficult time no matter what the circumstances are mixed because basically what had happened is we, you know, a bunch of people from all walks, uh, totally different walks of life came together and said, we need to do this thing. No one knew each other, no one trusted each other. Um, and so there was bound to be friction. I think I was very surprised to find that some of that friction was about um, Judaism and, and that really has to do with Israel um, and how the left um, sees Israel today. Um, and, and that was something that I was very, very unaware of because I'd been working in this other world. I'd been working in, you know, in Africa and, immersed in that, that I hadn't, I really didn't have the pulse on what the, what was going on, the nuances, of what was going on in the social justice world. Um, I mean, I had been an activist for my whole life, but I just didn't, I wasn't, um, you know, I would say cognizant. Um, so what I felt then um, during the march is that I had to hold this thing together no matter what. Um, there was no question. And that meant that I had to hold a lot of stuff that was happening to me um, that I was, you know, in some senses mystified about and also just really confused, um, shocked and confused uh, that there was any kind of anti-Semitism or any kind, you know, given what we are standing for, which is, you know, um, freedom and, uh, of the oppressed and in every form. Um, it was it was definitely just came out of left field for me. Um, I think that um, I walked away because it was untenable um, for me to stay in that environment. Um, and I walked away without doing so publicly because again, I felt it was really important to, um, for it to look like we were all in solidarity with one another. And I do think it was important. And I think that um, had the frictions and fissures 
um, in the March been made public, you know, I think that the, the right would have run away with that. It would have been news and drama when we really needed to focus on getting things done and, you know, within the four years. Um, eventually the story did come out and it came out um, because of uh, some other, some sort of additional behaviors that had gone on that were perceived as anti-Semitic and, um, and other people knew my story and then started talking about my story. And um, that was, it was really, it was incredibly hard for me. Um, I have, and I still have super mixed feelings. What it did was it pitted me against um, that which I had fought for my whole life. And um, that, that felt very strange and unfair um, and very alien to who I am. Um, but I also have to say, I, you know, ultimately you have to stand up for the right thing, even if it's super unpopular. And what I did was super unpopular, um, sort of coming out with the story. Um, and in today's like um, cancel culture, as we call it, you know, in certain circles, I'll always be canceled for um, for being honest about what happened. But I think that you have to do that no matter what. If, if you're going to do this work, if you're going to sort of, you know, walk in a righteous way or commit to that for your life, you've got to do the hard thing when the hard thing comes up. And that certainly was a really hard thing for me. Yeah, I, I, I can imagine. Uh, the late Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, when he talked about what it means to build alliances with people from whom you on other levels feel profoundly alienated. He offered this image of, of not standing face to face with people, but seeing if, if we could at least stand shoulder to shoulder with people. And it's sort of an interesting, an interesting shift of the imagery. And I wonder if, as a segue to my next question for you, you can tell us about March On, and particularly seeing as it's Women's, His it's Women's History Month about the importance of women's activism, which is core to your work, but how, have you, how did your experiences at the Women's March and this, these challenges and opportunities for solidarity, how does that shape the work you're doing at March On? And certainly now that there's been a change in administration, um, what are your next goals for March On? What, and what does political and social activism look like after COVID? Um, so March On basically started as a, um, the, the Women's March was very decentralized. So um, women organized all over the country and um, they did it on their own and in their own way. And what we provided as the sort of DC flagship was a way, a, a consistent brand, consistent language, um, and, and some ideas that bound us together. Um, but there was no central organizing and marches were popping up everywhere. So after um, the initial march, you know, they, everyone, we started talking to each other about how do we ensure that this moment um, has real political power for, and make sure that we never end up in this situation again. 
Um, and that's that was really the start of March on and started in so fairly soon after the initial March when we just started chatting with each other and having um, you know DIY and makeshift retreats. Um, and then and then we launched and and really focused on elections because you know we figured everyone has different priorities, but none of those priorities um, are going to be uh, met or changed until we change our representation. So what how do we want to do that? And, and, and what March on does is it takes a really it takes from the initial women's march that the idea of celebration, um, of creativity, um, of intergenerational work, um, and, and carries that forward to getting people out to vote and getting people out to vote in the places where we most need it. So that's really part of what we've been doing the last four years. We've also been um, in the background of a lot of the mass mobilizations, helping to coordinate them. So for example, the climate strikes, um, we, we helped to coordinate what is now a 500 um, organization coalition at that point, I think it was two, 200 or 300. Um, and, and, and just to create a framework in which people can um, organize and make sure we're heard and we're heard en masse. Um, so that's what we've been doing the past four years. That's a tiny bit of it. <laughs> and then um, obviously the general election was huge for us and Georgia, we really gave it all and did everything we could in Georgia. We felt very, very strongly about that. Um, and now that that's over, um, we, you would think that there's like a time to breathe, <laughs> but there's never really a time to breathe. Um, so I can tell you about some of the things that we're doing right now. Um, one of the things, and this is happening on a, on the sort of youth. So we have a, a branch that's a youth branch and they really run their own ship. They are taking on um, climate divestment. So they're uh, going to launch, and this is a little under wraps, but <laughs> they're going to launch a really big um, project in um, trying to uh, put pressure on the people who are most responsible for continuing um, the fossil fuel industry. Um, and then we're also looking towards 2022. I think that um, we need to get organized now. So I've been doing a lot of thinking about how to do that. Um, and then we're doing other uh, focus on other elections as well. Um, definitely thinking about tech. Texas right now, um, we are working, we are helping to coordinate a youth coalition in New York City to um, get young people to understand that they can really impact um, local elections there. Um, and so those, that's just sort of like a smattering of what we're working on. And Vanessa, how, how does women's leadership and women's activism inform the work you're doing at March On? So we talk about this a lot. We are women-led, but open to all. Um, and we feel like we work in a different way than you would have traditionally 
you know, male led organization, although I really hesitate to put things in such, you know, black and white terms. Um, but it feels more familial in a lot of senses. And it's definitely not as top down. So although I'm the executive director, um, I don't ever tell people what the pro what, what we're doing, what the projects are and that sort of thing. Um, it is definitely a, everyone has a voice and, and I do think that that is, grows out of um, that we work differently. And then there are other things that are, you know, you know, you have these calls and you know, now everyone is used to the Zoom calls um, with people's personal stuff going on in the background, like say a pig or five dogs. But, um, <laughs> and we've been, we have been um, on Zoom from the beginning. That's just how we had to conduct since we were all over the country. And so on these Zoom calls, people's kids would be running out, someone would be nursing, like it just was much more accepted that um, we have, you know, other family roles and we have other responsibilities and that we can't cut those off. We can't say work is here and family is here, that everything was blended. Um, and I think that, that that's also something that made us really different and makes us really different. Um, although now I'm, I'm happy other people are getting to experience that because I do think that it's, um, it's good for everyone to move in that direction. Do you feel like those values um, as you organize are better, uh, bring more hopeful or more promising strategies for change, for, for lasting sustainable change? I think a lot about the bonobos and here I will speak beyond my depth because I know okay. much about them. Okay. But I know that they are a matriarchy. They are one of the only uh, matriarchal in, uh, I believe, in the in our line of the of the tree of life. Um, and and how they organize themselves in a way that is. Uh, enormously reduces violence and um, friction um, within the, you know, within the group. Um, and so I think that that's kind of what we've tried to replicate on some level. <laughs> and I really need to learn more about bonobos, clearly. <laughs> when you do come back and teach us some more. But it's, uh, it's interesting when you think about the relationship between Right, the way we organize ourselves and the the longer term impact that we hope to create in the world. Somehow there has to be a relationship between the way we do what we do and what it is exactly. that we hope to achieve. And that's exactly right. And it's something that I've said often to my team in various ways is you can't use the master's tools and then expect to create a different world in a sense. You can't... Um, you can't fight, you know, you can't be filled with hate or jealousy or whatever it is and then expect to make a difference in the world. Um, there's that quote, uh, Martin Luther King. Um, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I, you probably know what I'm about to say, but it's, um, you know, only love can fight, you know, um, hate cannot. 
create justice only only that can it's he it's much more eloquent <laughs> I'll, I'll look it up vanessa do you have do you have thoughts about what activism is going to look like post pandemic oh, there i mean i'm like interested in what life is going to look like post pandemic um i think that the world is unalterably changed i don't think we'll go back to any previous normal um and i and i think that um and i don't know exactly what that looks like for activism but i am sure people are really um pumped to get out onto the streets when an occasion arises right um after being locked in for so long so i'm curious to see what what effect that has um but then we also you know i think that um the pandemic has made us think more deeply about like um sharing even just sharing air with people you know and and are we going to be more cautious now about that um so i think i think it'll be really interesting to see how that um falls where the chips fall vanessa let me ask you one more question before we let you go i'd like to ask all my guests um if you weren't doing the work that you're doing right now or you know if, if, you, if you hadn't been um, so involved in OK Africa. Um, what do you think you might be doing? What other dreams did you have or fantasies about how you might want to be uh, spending your life? Um, I would have been a singer or an artist. Oh, nice. It's really essentially, I feel like what I am. Um, and, and so now, you know, I'm now I'm able to do to to practice that a little bit more. And I've been during the pandemic doing really arting, arting a lot. <laughs> nice. Well, um, I, there's no doubt that just as an artist has to be able to imagine an entity that doesn't yet exist for which they're willing to put in a lot of hard work. Um, I, I have no doubt that an activist like you has to be able to imagine a world that doesn't quite yet exist, mm -hmm. that is alluring to you enough, something that you believe is possible enough that would motivate and inspire you to spend the endless hours and the immense effort that you do in trying to bring it to life. I wanna thank you so much, Vanessa, for your, your, your tireless activism, for your determination, for your pride as a woman and as a Jew. You're an inspiration. And your story continues to motivate the rest of us to lift up our voices and to raise our hands, as we did in the picture, to keep building uh, and to keep sustaining uh, a world filled with justice and filled with equality, filled with love. Thank you for being with us tonight. And uh, we look forward to seeing what March On brings to our country in the months and the years ahead. Best of luck to you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Done.
That was a beautiful rendition done. Gorgeous. The theme, as I mentioned earlier, for this International Women's Day is challenge. As the organizers proclaim, a challenged world is an alert world. And from challenge comes change. The many female heroes of the Pesach story, in whose merit the Talmud says we were liberated, and in whose merit all future generations will gain their freedom, did exactly that. They challenged systems of oppression and inequality. The midwives, Shifra and Pua, stood up and defied Pharaoh's orders to kill the male Israelite newborns. The Midrash actually identifies Pua as Miriam, and imagines her confronting Pharaoh, saying, woe to you on the day of judgment, when God will come and demand punishment of you. Miriam also, according to the Midrash, convinced her parents, Yocheved and Amran, to have sex again after they had separated for fear of creating a male infant whose destiny would only be to be murdered. Challenging their fatalism, she's credited with the birth of Moshe, who led us out of slavery. Yocheved herself defied fate by hiding Moshe from the authorities in his basket of reeds launched in the Nile River only to be discovered by yet another woman who challenged the system of injustice. Batya, Pharaoh's daughter, whose name actually means daughter of God. She proceeded to adopt this child in the face of her father's ruthless decrees, deciding for herself whose moral authority would have any claim upon her. Even Sipora, Moshe's wife, steps up as a decisive actor, circumcising their two boys on the way back to Egypt to start the rebellion to start the way home, writing their relationship with God. And with a dramatic getaway behind them, as the sea closed upon their enemies, it's the women who organize with celebration and music, with timbrels, with song and dance, led by Miriam herself. Now, many were surprised that among the belongings that they packed in their rushed escape from Egypt, that the women grabbed their instruments. What they understood was that in our toolkits for making change, 
alongside our courage, alongside our determination and our ingenuity, right there next to our megaphones and next to our posters. We have to make room for our party paraphernalia. We have to believe right at the outset, just as Vanessa and I were saying at the close of our interview, we have to believe from the get-go as these women did that we will be successful in our efforts, that we will indeed overcome whatever it is that keeps us and anybody else down, that there will indeed be a reason to celebrate. It's often hard to see that point along the difficult journeys toward change. We still live in a world wherein most of the people who live in poverty are women, where women still earn almost 23% less than men, where women are more likely to be working low-wage jobs, where women are woefully underrepresented politically. Less than 25% of the parliamentary seats throughout the world are occupied by women. A world wherein the UN reports that one out of every three women experiences sexual or other physical violence. And most experts would say that those instances are dramatically underreported. A world in which it's women who suffer disproportionately from the ravages of climate change. But we've learned something very precious over the last year, something that should make a significant difference to our work for equality. If we've learned anything from the pandemic of this past year, it's that in the face of danger, humanity will suffer together. And in the face of possibility, only by being united will any of us safely and securely rise above. The Pesach sisterhood of those brave enough to challenge systems of oppression is also a model of a sisterhood for global change. After all, Miriam and Yocheved were Israelites. The midwives Shifra and Pua might have been, or they may have been from other nations working alongside the Israelites. Batya was Egyptian, Sipora, Midianite. The story of the Jewish people's liberation as told by our sacred Torah is one that required deep and creative collaboration. As a template for the continuing unfolding of the human story, it's teaching us that our freedom today is bound up with the freedom of women and all human beings everywhere. None can do it alone and none will be free until all are free. In the merit of the righteous women of that generation, the Jewish people were redeemed from Egypt. And in their merit, future generations will be redeemed. May it be the will of the divine. And more importantly, may it be our will.
just made me miss my grandmother who was an ancient child and uh and a, a strong heroine in our family too friends i want to um thank dan for his always beautiful music i want to thank vanessa rubel for being with us tonight and sharing of her passion and her relentless work on building a world of love and of justice Next week on Ground Waves, we'll, we'll be welcoming Lee Gordon, who is the co-founder of Yad Bayad, Hand in Hand, a network of schools in Israel that bring Palestinian and Jewish young Israelis together for co-educational schooling from preschool through high school, as well as their families and communities together for shared cultural programming. We'll be joined by two graduates of Hand in Hand, Tala Jabara and Emmanuel Auerbach. This coming Wednesday night, our Justice Beit Midrash opens a new unit, a unit focused on income inequality as a gateway unit to then being able to explore issues of justice around healthcare, housing, hunger, and more. This coming Thursday night, the 11th of March, we're gonna be welcoming back to Sha'ar Nessa Rappaport for a beautiful, heartfelt, deep discussion about her recently published novel, Evening, a novel that raises the complex themes of sisterhood, seduction, secrecy against the backdrop of love and of loss. You've seen the emails um, where we invite you, for those of you who are gonna be joining us, and I encourage you all to, Nessa is just an extraordinary writer and a beautiful speaker. Um, and we invite you to submit questions about the novel uh, to the Sha'ar email address so that we can prepare her and you for the most uh, interesting and interactive evening possible. That's this coming Thursday night. I want to ask you to save the dates next Thursday night, March 18th. We invite you to come to learn a little bit in preparation for Pesach. I'm going to be sharing insights um, from the commentary of the late Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, as well as ideas based on his learning 
of how to renew the Seder rituals. There will also be time that evening to ask questions concerning the halachic guidelines around preparing food in our kitchens for Pesach, which will also be preceded by a mailing, keep your eyes open for that, with all kinds of instructions and guidelines for holiday preparation. On Sunday, March 28th, the second Seder night after Shulchan Orech, after we've all had a chance to eat and eat in the Afikomen and benched, um, we're going to gather online again for some music, some singing, some teaching, and some warm fellowship to close out the second night Seder. Coming uh, for the period of seven weeks of the Omer between Pesach and Shavuot are some very exciting new learning opportunities that you're going to be seeing information coming out about in the next um, few days, as well as the introduction of a brand new weekday service that Sha'ar is offering called the Morning Walk Minion. The Morning Walk Minion is an outdoor devotional walk for those who wish to expand their experience of prayer to include nature as a sanctuary for fellowship and embodied spirituality. I hope you'll all join me on Thursday mornings for the Morning Walk Minion. If you're new to Grand Waves tonight, please put your email into the chat so that we can add you onto our mailing list and be sure to have you join us at upcoming Sha'ar events and gatherings. Those of you who wish to stay on after we close with our Kavanah, our intention, please do so so we have a chance to say hi and check in with each other. Our closing Kavanah on this very special International Women's Day during Women's History Month a day on which President Biden signed two executive orders promoting gender equality. We end with the beautiful words of Rabbi Ayelet Cohen, expressing our prayers for a deep and encompassing freedom to embrace us all in this country and around the world. Our God and God of our ancestors, bless this country and all who dwell within it. Help us to experience the blessings of our lives and circumstances, to be vigilant, passionate, and brave. Strengthen us when we are afraid. Help us to channel our anger so that it motivates us to action. Help us to feel our fear so that we don't become numb. Help us to be generous with others so that we raise each other up. Help us to be humble in our fear, knowing that as vulnerable as we feel, there are those at greater risk, and that it is our holy work to stand with them. Help us to taste the sweetness of liberty, to not take for granted the freedoms won in generations past or in recent days, to heal and nourish our democracy, that it may be like a tree planted by the water, whose roots reach down to the stream, need not fear drought when it comes, its leaves are always green. Source of all life, guide our leaders with righteousness. Strengthen their hearts, but keep them from hardening, that they may use their influence and authority, speak truth, and to act for justice. May all who dwell in this country share in its bounty, enjoy its freedoms, and be protected by its laws. May this nation use its power and wealth to be a voice for justice, peace, and equality for all who dwell on earth. May we be strong and have courage to be bold in our action and deep in our compassion, to discern when we must listen and when we must act, to uproot bigotry, intolerance, misogyny, racism, discrimination, and violence in all its forms, to celebrate the many faces of God reflected in wondrous diversity of humanity, 
to welcome the stranger and the immigrant, and to honor the gifts of those who seek refuge and possibility here, as they have since before this nation was born. Let justice well up like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Vanessa. See you again soon. I love you all and miss you.